totally natural thing, and it, it's like very, very healthy, healthy. And it's beautiful. Like you connect, like you're out there looking at the mountains all around and nature, like Tweety birds flying by while you're bathing. You're not sealed off in some little fiberglass cubicle. Good day and welcome. This is the Hunting Republic podcast. The podcast where we discuss all things hunting and outdoors. So if you love hunting, camping, fishing, hiking, bushwalking, full driving, or just being in the outdoors, then we reckon you've come to the right place. My name is Luke, I will be your host, and I can't wait to have you along for the journey. So please enjoy this edition of the Hunting Republic podcast. G'day team and welcome to the third episode of the Hunting Republic podcast. I'd like to again just kick off this episode by saying thanks. Thanks to everybody who's gotten in contact. Thanks to everybody who's made a comment, given us a like or a share or gotten in contact via APM. It again has been so encouraging. Your feedback has been super appreciated and really helpful. Uh, As mentioned at the start of the second episode, the learning curve is super steep. The uh, technology curve, the uh, content curve, and everything is uh, a really, really interesting experience. So um, thanks very much for all the support, guys. Um, We are loving uh, hearing what you've got to say, and, um, and we're enjoying the challenge of putting out this uh, production for you. So uh, yeah, thanks very much to everybody. So moving on, talking about this third episode. So this morning, um, I got to have a chat with a a local fellow, uh, Jay. And um, I uh, I bumped into Jay on social media there a few months back. And uh, he's a a fellow hunter and fisher and outdoor enthusiast from the the Bundy area. And um, it was really good to to meet uh, somebody new. Um, I haven't met Jay before. And um, We've been exchanging a bit of uh, banter over the socials the last couple of months, and um, I've certainly learnt that Jay is one heck of a hunter. And uh, as you'll find out in the content of the podcast, he also loves his fishing and uh, and motorbikes as well. Seems to be a bit of a theme running through the podcast so far. But we had a great chat with with Jay this morning over a coffee, and uh, yeah, yeah, got to know him a bit better and and learn some ins and outs of, of his hunting journey and his, his outdoor pursuits. So please enjoy this, the third episode of the Hunting Republic podcast. All right, thanks for joining me um, on the podcast today on the Hunting Republic. Uh, I'm joined by Jay, and I'm not going to say your last name, Jay, because yeah. I don't know if you want me to. <laughs> or yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to uh, pronounce it correctly. So, um, yeah, Jay... Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks mate. for coming yeah. down, having a couple with me this morning. Um, and um, yeah, let's get stuck in. So, tell us a bit about yourself, mate. Um, I don't know. I suppose I uh, lived in Bundy the last kind of decade. Work locally. Um, grew up kind of doing a lot more fishing than I did hunting. Um, so yeah, still love me fishing. Get into it, but. I've recently kind of fallen back in love with bow hunting and, um, yeah, kind of been hitting that pretty hard lately. So, yep. 
um, I don't know, I suppose, where, where do you want to start, I suppose, like with my hunting, I guess, where I started. The yeah, mate, or... how did you, um, how'd you get into hunting? Like, have you been doing it um, since you, um, since you were a young tacker or? Um, no, not really. So I never, never really grew up hunting. Like when I was younger, I had a couple of older mates that used to have some dogs and used to go pigging. I'd kind of go with a run with them every now and again, but I wouldn't say it was something that I was really fully involved with like i've never had my own dogs or or ute or anything like that um probably got involved with it probably around eight years ago um so i started working with a lad that i kind of knew from around and we kind of become good friends and he'd done a a fair bit of bow hunting yep um so that kind of drew me into it um and i got my first bar i think it was one of those little cheap um red zone bios like yeah 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 Yeah, so started off with one of them and um i was kind of fortunate at the time because the job that i was in we used to work out west a lot so all around like mooney st george augathella yeah um yeah yeah yeah. so i was able to get onto property owners for permission to hunt out on those properties through my work so it kind of made the entry into hunting a lot easier for me in that aspect because I'm sure you know like a lot of beginners their biggest Mm. issue is land access especially in Queensland yeah Yeah, so I was kind of lucky in that sense so I started hunting out west mainly just pigs and goats um, and kind of really fell in love with it so I'd pretty much I'd get back from work I'd have properties lined up and I'd head straight back out there and (laughs) and start hunting kind of thing so um but for me it was especially with the bows it was it was more so kind of learning how to stalk in on the animals and um like oh starting out mate i i blew that many stalks it wasn't funny i was ready to give it up every day like but um when you finally get in like 20 meters from a pig Mm. like because back then that was kind of the furthest shot i'd be comfortable taking so i know you kind of get a real sense of uh reward out of it so Mm. Mm. Um, done that for a couple of years and then I ended up having a, a motorbike accident um, probably about five years ago and mm. broke my scaphoid yep. in my right hand. So yep. obviously couldn't shoot a bow during that recovery period. Mm. Um, and with the, I don't know if you know much about the scaphoids, but probably the worst one to break in your wrist. So the the recovery for that was quite, quite long. Mm -hmm. And by the time it was in a position where I could shoot a bow again, I'd kind of moved on to different things. I'd bought another boat and kind of got back into fishing more so. And if you, I suppose you'd be aware too, like if you don't hunt your properties regularly, it's pretty easy to lose your access to them as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I ended up getting out of it um until last year same i was actually with the same mate that uh, got me into hunting pretty mm. much um i was out staying at his place you dragged you back in yeah yeah <laughs> well, we, we kind of dragged both like each other back yeah. in really yeah. so because i was working not far from where he lives yeah um and it was the first time i'd seen wild deer so i seen a red stag and a couple of hinds um in a property i was working on yep, yep. Um, and I was, I was staying at his place and we got talking about it because back when I used to hunt, like deer was one of the, one of the things that I'd mm-hmm. always wanted to tick off kind of thing. 100%. And then like back then I didn't really know much about the local area. I didn't know we had 
steer, you know, a couple of hours from Bundaberg or mm. anything like that. So I mm. uh, got to talking with him and he actually knew the property owner quite well yeah, of, nice. of the property that the, the deer were on. Um, so we kind of got <coughs> talking back and forwards about the, uh, the old days of hunting and that. So we decided to get back into it. So yeah, dusted off the old, the old bow that I had, um, from before my accident and started practicing it a bit and, uh, ended up going out. It was a miserable day, mate, freezing cold, raining all day, didn't see any animals the whole day. And we were heading back to heading back to the ute in the buggy at the end of the day, freezing cold, couldn't feel our fingers. And yeah, just kind of looked to the right, like a hundred meters back, like from where we were gonna exit the gate, and here's this mob of uh mob of uh deer. It's so nice Yeah, well I ended up getting there. I got uh, got my first stag there, so it was just a like a cull head, like a little. I think it was a three by four. Um, pretty old, old deer though. Mm. So um, butchered him up, like took the the back legs and the the back straps off him, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of give it a go. Yep. And um, after that, yeah, I just kind of fell back in love with it. So I went and bought a new bow, started practicing a fair bit every every afternoon after work, kind yep. of thing, and. Yep. Yeah, this year I've I've been hitting the bow hunting pretty hard. Yeah, so so what's uh, what's what's your choice of bow? Uh, so I've only I have owned a bear as well, but I mainly shoot Hoyt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first bow was uh, Hoyt uh, Vector Turbo. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so that that was my first uh, I suppose you call it proper bow. Proper like bow. I, I went sure. from, I went from that uh, <laughs> that old red zone one, which I don't yeah. Don't really class as a hunting bow now that I kind of know a bit more about, yeah, yeah. about the um, topic. But uh, yeah, so I bought a second-hand bow off eBay and it was a, a Vector Turbo in 80 pound. Yeah. Um, absolutely loved that thing. And back then, still didn't really know too much about bows. So bought it second-hand. Uh, turns out it was the wrong draw length for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up... Um, Did you pull about 30? Uh, 29 and a half. 29. Yeah, yeah, that's yep, what yep. I ended up settling with. So I yep. uh, ended up having to get new modules for the cams. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I done that, decided to get some new bowstrings made up as yep. well. Um, and yeah, kind of got that dialed in. I love that bar still do. I, I've still got it at home. Yeah, but nice. Yeah, I've taken a lot of uh, pigs and goats with it. Yep. Um, yeah. Just after how that one's performed, I did buy a second bow just as a backup. I bought a just a bare uh, Gender 7. Mm-hmm. Um, never really used it other than just a bit of backyard shooting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when it come time to buy a new bow last end of last year, I'd kind of tossing up whether changing to Matthews because yep. um, there's, there's kind of mixed reviews on both sides of the fence. Like, it seems to be... I know it's a lot like in the fishing world, like people mm. have their brands and they, they die yep. by them. So 100%. it's kind of hard to get an unbiased review. And at the end, I thought, oh, well, I've had Hoyt. I've had really good experiences with them. So I'll just kind of stick yep. to them. And yep. and uh, ended up going with the um, Ventum Pro 33. Beautiful. Yeah, so. I think it's a good balance between uh, for a hunting bow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny that Matthews is probably one of the only bow brands that I haven't shot. Yeah, right. Um, for whatever reason, you know, um, Hoyt, Bowtech, PSE, 
um, <clears throat> yeah, I just I just haven't for whatever reason um, owned a Matthews. Yeah. Um, and um, back in the day when they sort of first hit the market over here and the solo cam thing was their their big selling point. Um, yeah, it was it was very close at one point, but was probably a little bit more of a poor uni student back then and um yeah i think the the Botec came along at that point in time and and they were all the rage so i ended up you know buying myself a, a new Botec. um but yeah it's still still one of those things i think they make beautiful bows and and yeah like you said you did hear good reviews and you know whatever else it's it's something that I think I'll pick myself up one day. I cruise the classifieds on Facebook and whatnot and, and see yeah. see some nice Matthews. I'm like, oh, I'll get that one, and you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've not I've not long got my my um, my Brackenhoit that I call it um, that I reconditioned there the the Factor Thirty, which is a yep. nine year old bow. Yep. Um, got that all up to spec and reconditioned and all everything I wanted to do with it. So I've got to got to put a few more miles on its belt before I think. Um, before I look at spending more money, yeah. you know, forgiveness and permission and all those things we talked about before. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so going back to when you first started, um, you, you said you went out with a mate um, and you sort of, you both got into it at the same time or he was into it a little bit more so? Um, so he was into it more so. So he used to do like a fair bit of pigging uh, with dogs as well yep. out west. Yep. Um, but a good mate of his was right into the bows. Um, so he had definitely more experience in it mm-hmm. um, than anyone I'd kind of... I hadn't known anyone to bow hunt or anything like that. So um, he didn't do it kind of full on, but he had had a fair bit of experience in the past with doing it. Yep. Um, so we kind of got into it together uh, once we started working together and that because um, he hadn't done it for a little bit by then as well. Kind of fallen out of it. Just it was more so just a thing you'd do on occasions yeah, um, nice. back then because he mainly ran his dogs and that. So, yep. so would you say you sort of learnt the process together, or you know, like um, you know how how sort of was he more of a did he have a little bit of a mentor role, I suppose? Or, yeah, yeah. Did, Like, did you have <clears throat> bush experience at that stage? Uh, so, as far as like walking bush and and tr- like tracking and spotting and stalking, I, I had zero experience. Mm. Um, so he kind of led me. I suppose you could call it mentoring. Yeah, he kind of gave me all the starting information that I needed to kind of get me on the right track. And as you probably know, there's a lot of lot of trial and error <laughs> <laughs> in that side of things and. Like, even to this day, like, I went hunting with him this last weekend. Um, like, we're still kind of learning things yep. um, as we go, oh, especially yep. with different types of game. Like, now that we're kind of getting into the deer, like, yeah, we, we've blown quite a few stalks and some good stags. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I suppose it's something for me at least. I'll, um, I consider myself uh, an amateur still pretty pretty well, mm-hmm. like... I have had a pretty successful season this year with with deer. I think mm. I've I've taken fourteen or fifteen uh, red deer, mm-hmm. uh, majority with the bow. Mm. Um, so I'm definitely definitely not rubbish at it. But um, oh, there's still been so many situations that I've learnt from and and kind of had to readdress my strategy, kind of moving forward yep. with them, sort of thing. And that's something. Um, yeah, it, it's just like a theme or it's a, a point that you hear over and over and over again from, from hunters and, and bow hunters particularly with getting getting um, or having to get in so much closer 
is that you know every time you step out and every time you stalk something you learn something yeah you know um and you come away you know that little bit more informed or um you know you you look at something slightly differently to to what you might have previously that then you know you can tuck away keep in the back of your mind and then you know you end up in certain situations the next time you're out or the next time you're out or 12 months time you go you know i've sort of seen this before you know, and, and you can draw on those experiences to then put the pieces of the puzzle together a little bit quicker, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. And um and help things pan out. Um, you know, increases your success rates, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like especially this day and age, like we're lucky, uh, like with the YouTube side oh, of things. Big time. Like when I first so my first probably after I had my success with that first stag proper fluke, first time ever hunted for <laughs> I've got a stag, like hundred percent a fluke, like <laughs> More ice and class for sure, but I know a few guys in that in that category with different different animals. Yeah, no, uh, but after yeah. that, like I had a fair few unsuccessful trips in a row. Like I, I probably had maybe eight to a dozen trips in a row where I I kind of cooked it. Like I'd yep. get into deer and mess it up, and <clears throat> it was more so about also kind of learning the property I was hunting, yep. how the how yep. the deer behave, and that. Yep. Um, and yeah, doing a, I was, I was on YouTube pretty much every night laying in bed, kind of sussing out the situation. And probably the biggest thing I took away from it was to just, uh, like slow down and, and really kind of pan over and scan your surroundings more thoroughly before yep. moving through. Yep. Like, cause previous, my only experience was hunting goats and pigs out West where you're just walking a Creek line or checking dams and you know, the areas they're going to be. So you're just on foot. Mm. kind of walking Come all day be, yeah. whereas the biggest learning curve i had transitioning into the deer is just being able to pull yourself up on a hillside give it a proper glassing mm. like i had situations there pulled up on a nice ridge had a look through for two minutes didn't see nothing popped over the side and then i've looked over and there's like three doe <laughs> 150 meters from the side of the hill just feeding still that i wasn't aware of we're even there like if yeah. I, took that bit more time I would have been able to spot them and by then I was out in the open and couldn't really put a stalk in on them so yeah yeah. but yeah no I think I think this day and age like there's a lot of um there's a lot of good advice on like Facebook pages and forums and that but you also get a lot of people that aren't particularly helpful at the Mm -hmm. same time Mm -hmm. so I've found me personally just um, going on YouTube. Like there's a there's a few good Aussie channels that yep. hunt deer and that, and Definitely. I probably learned most of my strategies just just from yeah, watching nice. them. Yeah. Yep. So. Oh, it definitely helps, and it's um, again, like you said, in this day and age, it's one of those things that um, is is you know like it's an amazing resource to be able to tap into. You know, it increases your learning curve <clears throat> so so rapidly. Um, and yeah, back in the day when when there wasn't wasn't anything like that, you know, um, it was oh the early early two thousands when when I got serious about hunting. Like I said, I was, a, I was at uni at the time, and everything that existed online as far as hunting and, and animal behaviour and the internet was still fairly new. It was all American. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Um, all tree stands and white tails. Yeah, and yeah. Like and yeah. nothing wrong with that too, yeah, especially, yeah. you know, that's that's just <clears> the way the World Wide Web works. But, um, 
it was it was a struggle for a while there because the the resources just weren't out there. Yeah, you know, and obviously you know since um, two thousand six seven when when Facebook in particular started to explode and um, and as that's grown and the different um, avenues and functions and options in Facebook with your groups and and chat stuff and that's gone on yeah you know um, and then obviously you see Instagram which isn't as much interactive I suppose as having groups on Facebook and that sort of thing but you know um, and then as YouTube evolved as well now I guess you say the podcast is is getting massive too because like myself you know yesterday at mowing the lawn the headphones are on the earmuffs are on and I'm, yep. I'm listening to you know um becoming a bow hunter and you know different different podcasts different boys and listening and learning and you know hearing from fellas that have been hunting in different parts of the world or different parts of the country with different game and different different species and different areas doing using different methods and stuff like that yeah and you're just learning and learning and learning and um it's absolutely incredible the amount of learning you can do without literally leaving your couch yeah that, that's you know, right it's mm. quite phenomenal so you said you've taken uh a number of deer so far this season yep um what's your preferred method of dealing with them as in not dispatching them but you know butchering what, what do you do with um them? so i'm a big uh i suppose i don't know the way to to say it but I, I pretty much harvest all the meat mm-hmm. from the deer I take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I personally think it's a, a great source of organic um, free-range meat. Um, very high in protein, low in fat. Absolutely. Um, and some people carry on about deer and the, um, like the gaminess of it and all that. I myself haven't experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find the flavour too offensive. Yep. Um, I actually quite enjoy it. Um, in saying that, I, I believe it has a lot to do with how the animals dispatched and processed. Um, so pretty much all my animals I've harvested, um, whether I'm, <clears throat> I used to kind of, uh, go through and field dress and take the guts out and either hang them up and start butchering them out there. But recently I've gone to, uh, like gutless dressing on the ground. Yep. Uh, I've found it a lot quicker. Uh, for me anyway um so like the biggest thing is just the um getting the meat down off the animal and cool down as quick as possible Mm -hmm. i believe to um really help the the kind of flavor of it um so yeah look i love it we make at home we i do a lot of minces up so we make everything from lasagnas spaghettis uh just simple hamburger patties meatloafs uh, beer sticks, um, do a lot as steaks as well, um, and re- like just whole back straps reverse seared. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I've started making uh, crumb steaks out of the rounds as well. Yeah, nice. Absolutely unreal, mate. Yeah, probably right. probably one of the best crumb steaks <laughs> I've had. Eh? So, uh, look, as far as being a u- universe like a underutilized meat, I, I mm-hmm. suppose, because um, a lot of people have a preconceived. Um, notion that it's um, like gamey they'd mm. be disgusting so they, they won't really try it to begin with mm. uh, everyone of of gifted me to have absolutely loved it like oh, yeah, yeah and they're yeah. kind of asking for more so <laughs> nice yeah like it's it's a very versatile animal as well like you can just do so many things with it yeah um, 
And as far as like, I never really got into harvesting game animals for their meat until I got into to doing deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I used to hunt. I, I would take the occasional meat goat as well, like a small you know, young goat uh, yep. when I was hunting, but it was never really my primary focus. It was more yep. so as a, a pest management side of things. Sure. Because yep. um, that was back in the days before before the goat prices went up and, yep. and property owners just seen them as a pest kind pest, of thing. Yeah. So... Um, but recently, I took a pig uh, a few months ago. It's the first time I've eaten wild pig as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've harvested lots of pigs before, but never taken meat other than dog food. Yep. Um, yeah. <clears throat> again, watching a few Australian YouTube uh, channels. Um, so Aussie Bush Harvest is the one that I yep. watch mostly. Um, Profki, yeah. So yeah. he's got a lot of good good videos. I really enjoy his content, mm. um, and he kind of made me curious about uh, getting into the wild pork side of things. Yep. So harvested uh, some meat off a young sow that I shot um, a couple of months ago, and made some smoked Kranskis with it. Oh, and yeah. yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Like yeah, hundred percent. Uh, uh, like with eating any wild game, I suppose, it comes to also checking the health of the animal, mm-hmm. like their internal organs, um, making sure they're, they're fat, healthy, not full of ticks, not mangy, yeah. like yeah. Um, really comes down to, for pigs more so in my opinion, that, uh, about assessing the condition of for the sure. animal. Um, and I even kind of went the further steps of freezing the meat before mincing it and making the kranskis and then obviously smoking them um, over that um, pasteurized temperature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big, big believer of uh, people should be harvesting their mm. deers for, for the meat, not mm. just letting them waste. Mm. Um, like I take the, the uh, offal as well. Like I harvest the livers and um, my mother-in-law makes dog treats out of them, dries yeah, them nice. out and things like that. Yeah, so nice. yep. just trying to utilize as much of the animal mm kind of as we can um don't really want to be out there just killing them for no reason and letting mm. them waste in a paddock um i think it's something that's definitely um we we talked about it uh barry and i and, and dave talked about it in the first episode <coughs> and and barry and i spent a fair bit of time talking about it you know in the, in the field when we were pulling up stumps and, and and having a bit of a breather during during our hunting but um it seems to be something that has, I don't know whether it's just a, a more uh, accessible option for people with the, again, the educational content that's out there to, to help people become aware of, of what they can do and, uh, and the, the, it's not as um, daunting or not as unsavoury or even unhygienic as, as, you know, in the past people might have thought it to be. Um, or, or whether or not, you know... Um, stuff during and post-COVID where people sort of uh, all of a sudden started asking themselves the question as to, well, if I can't get to the shop or there is no meat, what do I do? How do I do this? And, you know, I think that's definitely something that's responsible for more people getting into hunting in the last few years. But I also think it's part of um, partly responsible for more hunters becoming more resourceful with what they take. Um, certainly a lot more hunters, I think, are taking and utilising pork than I've ever seen in the past. Um, you know, I think deer has always been a more favourable meat to harvest or animal to harvest for meat. Um, and I think they've always been regarded as just a, you know, a cleaner, more more 
domestic, not domestic, but beef-like, I suppose. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're, more they're not a carrion-eating animal for yeah. starters. And so they don't necessarily have that um, that unhygienic or that sus sort that, of That bit of attitude. a stigma attached to them that pigs do. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. Eh? And look, don't get me wrong, I think in certain areas where there's a, a lack of vegetation feed for, for pigs, it's... Something you approach very cautiously, you know, and, and feeding that, on carrion and stuff. Or, yeah, and touching know. on that point, like that's what I mean about assessing the like the health of the animal. Like mm. most of the pigs I hunted out west back in the day, uh, that I probably wouldn't eat any of those because out mm. there, like you probably know, hunting out west, they're pretty poor condition. They're eating yeah. a lot of roadkill. Like, yeah. yeah, sorry for cutting you off there. No, 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 it's all good. <laughs> man. It's all good. That in. Yeah, it's all good. yeah. <clears throat> uh, no, and it's it's interesting too because um, when, uh, like you said, you, you sort of got dragged back into it by your mate. Well, there's kind of a similar story with my, myself and and my mate Bernie when he came back from from living overseas and uh, in, in the US and bought himself a compound bow and he said, "Oh, you better teach me how to shoot this thing." And oh, well, I better drag mine out and get stuck back into it. Yeah, um, we went onto a, a property here locally and. It was a former uh, peanut farm. Yep. And pigs in there were just eating what was still left in the ground, which is still a fair bit of actual crop. Yeah, yep. And we we knocked over. We, we were just out there doing a quick look. The first time I'd ever been to the place, met the owner. We're just doing a walk around. It was only three, 350-acre property, so you're around it in an hour and a half sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yep. And um, here we came across uh, this uh, over this little rise and – uh, as we crested the top, there's this mob of pigs, and it was like, right, Bernie, it's game on. Let's, you know, yeah. let's go. So he actually knocked over a sow and, and a boar out of the, the one mob, and um, and we butchered those up. And I've never seen so much fat on pigs before. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're talking three and a half inches worth of fat, yeah, and four yeah. inches worth of fat. It was just insane. They were just they were young pigs. The boar hardly had milk teeth, let alone tusks, but they would have been. 70, 80, 90 kilo pigs. They were, they were yeah, big pigs, yeah. but they were, they were still young in the tooth. Um, but they didn't even have a tick on them, let alone a worm in them. You know yeah, what I mean? Like they yeah, were just right. ridiculously healthy and glossy and, you know, like, yeah. Um, Especially when you've, you've had a lot of experience hunting, you can you can pretty well pick up on a, a healthy animal versus mm. when it's pretty obvious when you see one that's that's mm. got some, got some mm. uh, concerning features to it. So, yeah. And... Yeah. Um, have you harvested goat taken the shed before? Or? Uh, so I've harvested goat back when I used to hunt uh, when I first got into it. Yep. Um, harvested a couple of young goats, um, yep. just took kind of back straps, um, yep. just made curry out of them, things like that. Um, looking back now, how I've kind of evolved um, the way I the way I look at hunting and more look at it as sustainability and some free range food as well as helping the property owners out. Like at the end of the day, um, you're there to do a job for them. Mm. Um, and if you're kind of letting animals go and, and not doing that job, well, you're not going to be allowed back on kind of thing. So mm. there is that aspect to it as well. Um, but looking back now, a lot of the animals I'd harvested um, when I first started hunting, uh, I see it as a, a very wasted um, opportunity to harvest mm. meat out of them. Mm. Um, as I said, back then I didn't I didn't even really think of it in the way of um, harvesting meat, and especially like the stigma back then to goats was kind of along the same lines as um, 
as pigs, like they're yep. just dirty, stinking animals. Mm. Like the only one you'd take was a young one. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of being a bit naive and and um, not really looking into that side of things too much mm. back then. But mm. if I was to go out hunting now, I'd have no issues with with going after goat for mm. for the meat specifically. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's it's funny. I say it in a lot of different either fields that I've worked in or even you know like. <laughs> parenting kids you know like you, you only know what you know you only do what you can do yeah you know and if you don't really know any different um you know and i think back even even going as far as and i mentioned this in another another episode as well you know like way back in the day you know it wasn't uncommon for a bow to knock over a roo here and there yeah you know and you go well you know it, it's a lot more knowledgeable a lot more known nowadays but you know natives are off the list yeah that you that's just right. you're not allowed to shoot them it's illegal and they're protected but you know back in the early days um it was just it was just another thing you could shoot yeah um not to say that people would hunt them you know or target them specifically yeah, but yeah. if one sort of hopped in between you and, and you wanted to and if you're that way inclined you, you just knock it off and not really think anything about it but um so yeah you can only look back on that sort of stuff i suppose and go you know literally if i didn't know any different i didn't know yeah. any different yeah, yeah you know that's and, right. and that's part of the, the learning journey i suppose yeah. you know the more you learn the more you the more you realize that um you know you can um, evolve through the process and when it's something that comes out in that regard as a um a beneficial outcome you know not only just as we mentioned before you know learning stuff from other people with regards to either stalking methods or you know hunting strategies or whatever but skills for yourself to then impart onto the process that you already have to to make it more um i don't know about fulfilling but a richer process yeah you know yeah, yeah. you invest a lot in it and the more you invest in it the more you get out of it yeah. you know and part of that utilizing that field dressing and the game and the meat that what you can take away and as you said you can gift meat to people and you can make your own food it just becomes yeah. more rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Same, same along the lines of like, um, for instance, when I first got into to bow hunting, I, I knew nothing about about bow form. Like, as you know, bow hunting is all about consistency. Mm. Um, that's the no, number one thing. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of be a proficient shot at, at yep. bow. Yep. Um, by the end of it, I was, I was fairly good, uh, in, like in my own opinion, but... Like it's something starting over now that I'm only back into it the last kind of nine months is trying to just get that consistency back. And yep. um, like, as you were saying, touched on like progressing and moving forward and learning new things. Like back then I bought all my arrows pre-fletched, mm. ready to go out of the box, knew nothing about bow tuning, uh, anything like that. Um, so starting over when I got my new bow, I kind of wanted to get more involved in the whole process of it. So yep. Like from buying bare shafts to like I fletch all my own arrows now. I uh, went out and got myself a bow press and draw board. Yeah, nice. Um, so rather than having my bow set up when I bought it, I just bought it brand new in the box. I set the peeps, set the center shot, tied my D loops, everything like that. Yeah, cool. And kind of made it more of a involved process of... Mm of uh learning as i go taking and, a bit of ownership for it and and yeah. it is it is a lot more rewarding like setting up my own bow <clears throat> then fine-tuning it through paper getting a perfect bullet hole yep. is so much more rewarding when you've kind of went through the whole process of it yep. of yourself and i feel doing it that way too you learn a lot more 
about the bow that you're shooting. Um, yeah. Like especially, I found with my new bow, I had to change my hand position a little bit because I was used to the older style of grips and I was getting a bit too much torque in the handle. So yeah. picking up on certain things like that through through the tuning process, whereas in back in the day, I wouldn't have even paper tuned. Like mm-hmm. uh, I used to shoot a lot of mechanical broadheads back yep. in the day, um, mm-hmm. just because they fly a lot truer to your field tips than your, than your fixed blades. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's another aspect of it too. Like now that I've gone through the in-depth process of, of tuning it all myself and getting mm-hmm. the shooting right, paper tuned it and then broadhead tuned it. Like I've, I've kind of transitioned to fixed blades now. Yep. Um, mainly due to the fact that I'm more understanding of how things work and now I have my my um, fixed blades tuned to how my, my field points are shooting. So mm. it is a lot more rewarding experience, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it just all adds in and adds in and adds in, doesn't it? Yeah. It sort of yeah. Um, am- amplifies itself. Yeah, the more you the more you get going. involved with it, the, uh, the kind of more you get out of it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking back when you first started and yeah, I don't want to keep harping back to that, but yeah, it's yeah. just, it's sort of, I suppose, more recent and more fresh in your mind than mine. <laughs> You're not allowed to call me <laughs> Um, but you, you sort of, what was your, what was your basic kit? What would you go out with? You know, you were, you were raw to it. You, you know, you said you didn't know much about bushcraft or yeah. stalking animals and stuff. So how, what did you, what did you kick so yourself out with then? Consistently, I'd have just my bow, a quiver, my release. And that, even starting out, I didn't have a range, didn't have a range finder. Um, and maybe a bottle of water in a backpack kind of thing um, yep. was about the only kit I had um, starting out. Um, and even pretty well right through kind of the whole, my first initial phase of hunting, that's that's kind of all I'd have. I didn't didn't even put any much thought into into any different gear. Like I didn't even wear camo back then. Like mm. I'd wear cotton long sleeve pants and just a button up shirt, like a work shirt. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's what I'd go yeah. out hunting with like yeah. Yeah. Um, out west. It wasn't until I, like I um, kind of got back into it that, I really got more kind of gear focused on what I wanted to use and get into, like not so much like obviously full camo getting that, but also like getting into harvesting meat. I just mm. had like a cheap backpack I got off, oh, I think it might've been off eBay, like a camo backpack mm-hmm. just to keep water bottles in yep. and soon learn it wasn't really cutting the mustard when it come to, um, to, uh, taking the ease off my back so to speak loaded yep. full of meat, meat. Yeah. Yep. Yep. especially especially now i'm not exactly old but i'm not as fresh as i was when i started <laughs> hunting up. so <laughs> how old are you jay come on uh 33, 33. So, yeah yeah so yeah but uh so more so looking into like quality of gear so like i switched to same thing, done a fair bit of research. I ended up switching to a Spiker uh, Drover 40 litre with the mm-hmm. aluminium meat frame on the back of it. Mm-hmm. And that was a complete game changer for me. Yep. Like if I'm walking meat out 2Ks through the hills, don't have any issue with mm-hmm. that at all. Like, yep. So I, I've been able to do kind of, I can pack out a whole dough in one trip like yeah, with nice. that bag. So, yep. And then it also comes down to like it's got the... Um, 
the hydration bladder built into the back of it, things like that. Mm. Um, and I suppose um, another thing is like from butchering, butchering the animals out in the field too is just kind of trial and error of gear in that respect as well. Mm. Um, so I've, I've gone through a few different kinds of knives. Like I used to take out my Victorinox boning knife and a whole array of different different knives kind of thing just to get the job done. Whereas yep. in now I've kind of narrowed it down. I have one knife that I take out with me. It's a, um, it's a Havilon folding mm-hmm. knife. So it's got the... I forget what they call the blades, but it's got the razor blades on one end and then just a fixed blade on the other. Yeah, right. Um, so I do all my skinning, and if I do choose to gut them, I do that all with the razor blade. And then when it comes to boning, I switch to the fixed blade. So, yep. like, just kind of learning, learning through it with trial and error with gear for butchering and that. Like, I've worked it down to, I used to take, like, five different knives to now have one that, you know, it fits in my pocket pretty mm-hmm. much, and mm-hmm. I can, I can break down a whole animal in the field just with that one knife now. So, yep. I suppose it just comes down to trial and error and work, learning what works best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a position where you can get a vehicle to the animal, well, well then it's even mm-hmm. better. You just drop the drop the guts out of it and chuck it on the back kind of That's thing. It. But when you're up in the hills, <laughs> you don't really get that luxury a lot of the time. So well, that was a funny thing talking about these. The two pigs of Bernie and I shot one. Uh, the, the old mate stipulation with uh, with hunting on the block was that you take everything. Yep. You don't gut anything. You don't leave anything yep. behind. You take the whole lot. And um, yeah, we we'd literally never been to the place before, and all of a sudden we had these two pigs on the ground, and we we're like, <laughs> oh crap, you know, like, we we got to get these things out of here. Yeah. So ended up uh, there'd been a bit of rain, and it didn't get bogged, but it was, it was sticky. Soft, yeah. We drove the ute in and. Through these two, well, luckily I had a had a spare tarp in in the tray, the drawer in the back of the tray there. Through this two, well, I managed to throw these two pigs up in the ute between the two of us, and then let's just say how was the most amused <laughs> when we got home. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the butchering efforts and the the late night escapades in the shed yeah. after we're already in trouble for being late home. <laughs> it definitely takes a lot longer than you first oh, first imagine it too, doesn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah. Shield the wall. I'll show that one. So, um, looking at you know, it's, speaking of gear and stuff like that, now um, you've you mentioned your bow. So you run a set of binos in. What sort of binos? Yeah, do you use? yeah. So I run pretty much um, all my optical gear. I suppose is all bushel. So I run a set of 42 by 8 Bushnell binos. Uh, so I've got the Spiker bino harness. Um, and then I've got the Bushnell Prime rangefinder. Yep. Um, so I kind of moved towards that higher end rangefinder due to the fact that I, uh, I got my rifle license last year as well. I wanted to move to a bit of rifle. Mm. Uh, but the, the Bushnell Prime has both uh, rifle... And bow settings in it. Yep. Um, and the main part is for me was hunting in hills with the bow, like shooting on those steep angles. Um, yep. and inclination it, and inclination. Yeah, it, it calculates that and it'll tell you what, yep. what distance to aim for rather than the actual distance that isn't things. Yep. So, um, look, I can't fault either of the units mm. really. Um, mm. I, I don't know too much about optics in that world. Like the, 
the binos I've got, the Bushnell binos I've got are the first binos I've ever, I've ever bought. Yeah. Um, so again, out west, never really done any kind of glassing of yep. areas. Yeah. It was just on the foot all the time. So another big learning curve has been being able to sit there and actually get on the binos and have a good look around sort mm-hmm. of thing. But um, look, for, for not ever using binos before, I find them, I've found them really good and mm. easy to use kind mm. of thing. So, um, but yeah, I probably wouldn't look at upgrading them for the foreseeable future. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I think they do a good enough job. So well, That's it. I think, I think there's, some, there's a certain level of glass that you get to that is more than adequate without being, you know, super, super expensive. Yeah. You know, we, we both know and everyone listening knows how much money you can spend on, on glass. <laughs> um, be it on the top of your rifle, be it on, on your on your binos, a spotting scope or a rangefinder or whatever, but, you know, it's extraordinary. And then that's not even touching on camera lenses and stuff if you get heavily into that side of it as well. Yeah. But I think there's definitely a there's definitely a threshold level where anything under that's shit yeah and you know not not even worth you know you know you might take it to the footy but yeah yeah um you sort of cross that threshold and and it tends to become you know definitely adequate for the job yeah and yeah sure you can you can spend a lot more money and you can have all that extra clarity and that extra low light performance and and those sorts of things but it is one of those things i think with most hunters i reckon almost like we would probably say every hunter um that you know you'll you'll get to that threshold and you'll go okay well on this you know that, that that little bit extra money and i'll buy this pair this time because i'm upgrading from that pair and or it's my first pair yeah and i've read good things about this or whatever and then you go you know what these are really good yeah and and i think they're they're an item that will do the job for a very long time when you look after them and then by the time you know you, you feel like you've out grown them or they have worn out or you damaged them whatever you've got a really good idea as to well are they adequate for the different types of hunting i do yeah and do i need to you know spend the thousands on something far more expensive or will you know the same sort of money suffice again and last me another 10 years yeah yeah um so i think they're one of those bits of kit that that threshold level is is a really good point for most people to, to try to bump a little bit of coin up to to get to, yeah, um, and and then they, they get a, a really good, you know, uh, what's the word window of use out of that bit of kit, yeah, to then be very informed when it comes around to making the next decision for the next time. Yeah, I, I suppose I can see that firsthand too. Like I, I off off the top of my head, the binos I bought were around that. 400 mark yep. um which i suppose you'd call mid mid-tier low to mid-tier kind of optics mm. um they certainly do get a lot dearer than that um and my mate that got me back into hunting and we hunt together um he went out and got a set of binos and he um <clears throat> didn't really see it as much of a necessity so he went to kind of the more entry level kind of binos around that 150 mark and Look, after a couple of months, he ended up getting <laughs> stepping him yep, up a bit, yep, so yep. he ended up replacing those to what he's got with now. Yep. So, I think it is something that you can kind of overlook when you're first kind of starting. Mm. Um, I was lucky; I went into the shopping town here um, when I got my binos, and I was able to at least test a few of the different sure. ranges. So, sure. 
again, situations are different hunting. Like, as you said, like low light and glass clarity and those kind of situations. But at least I could have a bit of an insight to them. So, like, I stood out the front, looked at a, looked at a road sign, a K down the road, and kind of mm. made my judgment on how kind of crisp I could, mm. could get the vision on that. So... That's why I ended up kind of going with settling with that mid-tier because yep. I could read a road sign from a kilometre away um, and I did have that thought process behind me that like I'm kind of just getting back into it. I just bought a new bow, mm. all that, all the gear to go with it, of course, like mm. all your quivers and, and stabilisers. So the, <laughs> the bill, was, a, the bill was racking up pretty high and uh, yep. still hadn't passed it through the Minister of Finance <laughs> at that stage. So... <laughs> I had to um, kind of come up with my arguments as to why I needed it. So <laughs> I kind of dropped down to that mid-tier. But <clears throat> in my personal experience, I've had a good kind of six months on, on them now. And I, for, the, for the price range, I haven't been able to fault them mm. in all honesty. So, mm. yeah. But. Yeah, nice. You said you, you do a bit of fishing. Tell oh, us about yeah. that. Yeah, I love fishing, eh? You love um, fishing. I don't know. There's a there's a lot to talk about. Where did you want, <laughs> kind of want to start? Or, so do you, do you go offshore? Do you, what's your preference? Uh, the last few years, I've been kind of getting into offshore a lot. Mm. Got in heavily involved in kayak fishing for a while as well. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, so I've still got my fishing kayaks, but they're they're just collecting dust at this stage <laughs> now, which is a lot easier with the outboard. So, uh, but then yeah, transitioned to a lot of river fishing with the tinny and. Yep. And then kind of, I suppose it's it's like hunting, I guess, just the evolution of things like starting out with the basics and like now doing offshore trips and overnight trips out the reef. And, yep. um, but yeah, I've, fishing's one thing I've done since I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, pretty well my first love and got me, got me to enjoy the outdoors originally, I suppose. Yep. Um, and did you, did you grow up local? Uh, so I grew up originally on the Gold Coast yep. uh, when I was younger, and then I moved to Childers um, just as I was entering high school. So, You're um, look, they wouldn't classify me as a local, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I've been in the area for a fair, for a fair while. So, done my high schooling in Childers, uh, then kind of moved away for a bit, uh, moved around a little bit, and then settled back in the in the area and. Yep. Um, I uh, settled back in Apple Tree Creek and then moved to, to Bundy itself probably around six years ago. Yeah, right. Eh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, what you've got your own, obviously you said you've got your own boat. Yeah, yeah. What's so got? I, I've got two. I've got a uh, just my river boat, which is a 4.2 metre tinny. And then my reef boat's a 6.5 Vision uh, CJ Centre Console, yeah, which... Right. I was lucky enough to actually win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, the Boyntanum oh, hookup, mate. Yeah. When so, was that? It, unreal, mate. Like, oh, I won okay. that 2020. So, I've had that yeah. three years now. So, Fantastic. It, I don't know. It was kind of um, come at the best time, sort of thing, because I've been taking my little 4.2 meter offshore because I just started getting into reef fishing. Absolutely yep. fell in love with it. And um, so I actually split the hull on me on me smaller oh, tinny. <laughs> I yeah. got got kind of went out the fifteen mile. Kind of got stuck in a bit of a, a blow up out there and yeah. split the hull. And and the uh, wife kind of put her foot down and said, "Yeah, no, no more reef fishing <laughs> until you get a bigger boat." So oh, good stuff. Yeah, oh, look, yeah, I, I didn't complain. <laughs> yeah, so I was actually in the process. Of, I just um, won this. Yeah, I'm a, you know, the bank balance is twenty grand less, thirty grand less, but yeah. I just won this. Honestly, yeah. so I. Um, <clears throat> 
I was actually in the process of selling my smaller boat and two of my motorbikes to put a bit of money towards getting a, a bigger boat to go out reef. Um, and even with selling those, I was kind of only looking at getting like a secondhand five meter boat was kind of the best I could do with the budget yep. that I had kind of thing. So I literally had someone coming down to, I had someone coming down on the Wednesday to look at one of my motorbikes and I had someone coming down the following week to buy the boat and then I actually won that boat on the Sunday. So I had to message them both and say, oh, look, yeah, they're not for sale I'm anymore. keeping the toys. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was, it took me months to kind of, for it to sink in that I'd actually mm, won it. So, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, in saying that, um, <laughs> the wife reckons it's the worst thing to happen to us because I've probably spent about 30 grand on the boat oh, since winning it. So yeah. upgraded the outboard on it and then just all the electronics in it, like yep. pretty much kitting it out to pretty well my dream boat. So yeah, still pretty good 30 grand for, for my dream boat kind and of do thing. you have so, a favorite target species? Uh, you can't say red deer, we've covered that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, as far as offshore, it's a bit of a controversial topic with the Spanish mackerel situation. Yes, um, yes, yes. But for kind of the hard-hitting trolling aspect, one of my favourite things with Target were Spanish mackerel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still are, but obviously mm. the bag limits are a lot less. But yep, yep. I could get into a whole political debate about that, but I don't think this is... <laughs> I suppose we can, we can do a little bit of background for, for people who aren't aware or into fishing that the the uh, the limits of take and keep have been drastically reduced on the Spanish mackerel just this year? Yeah, so it's come into effect this financial year. Yeah. So it's in effect now. So they've opened up seasons for them, which yep. is more than acceptable. Um, like... Their seasoning requirements can, in my opinion, are a little bit off of when their actual breeding times can be because mm. obviously every area is different, but they're already, always also migratory. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but the biggest controversial thing is, uh, so I think it was two years ago, they changed the limit. It was three per person and they changed it to having a boat limit of maximum per six, no matter who's on board a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and then as of this financial year, they've dropped it back from three per person, a max of six per boat, down to one per person and a maximum of two per boat. Um, so that, it, it is a quite drastic um, kind of change. And, and that's, that's the issue I have. Um, look, and it's kind of on part on recreational fishers as well. Because uh, a lot of times when you have... <clears throat> people doing like the fisheries doing surveys at the boat ramp people aren't honest about what they've caught um so i can kind of give a false kind of insight of fish stocks mm. um mm. but as i said I, we could get involved with a, a long conversation about the spanish but the thing I, I personally have issue is is i've been fishing for him for a while uh, I've never noticed any decline on our coast anyway. Mm. Um, and it was always a good fish. Like I take a lot of people that don't get to go fishing a lot. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> bottom fishing can be very um, kind of tired and tired and moon phase depending as well. Definitely. So it was always a good thing when I was taking people that hadn't had a lot of experience with fishing, haven't caught a big fish. I've got my certain spots where I go for Spanish that, 
I, I've, I've never been there and not caught Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like they've mm-hmm. always been yep. a regular at the spots that I go to. So yep. it was always a good fallback for me to take someone out and let them catch a, a fairly large fish, like a big fish in their, in their opinion. Like mm. your, your school size Spanish of like eight kilos is a massive fish for most people that don't do a lot of fishing. Yeah, so, and it's kind of moved back now that only having a possession limit of two the biggest issue, in my opinion, is mackerel don't release well. So, mm. like, if you're going to have people that are just targeting your bigger size Spanish, they're going to be dropping a lot of Spanish back overboard that are going to ultimately die. Yeah. So, with Spanish, you need to pretty well de-hook them in the water straight away. Yeah. Um, otherwise, a lot of the time, they will, will die. So, yeah. I think potentially it could cause more issues than helping the situation, but... At the same time, there's nothing we can do. The laws have passed. We've got to kind of work with these new laws and, and see if we can look at getting them kind of revised in the near future. See, I thought, I thought that was something that was going to happen. It was for a period and there was going to be a revision process? So or? From, from my understanding, there isn't. Um, there's potential to be a revision. I could yep. be wrong. I, I um, could be kind of talking out of my ass here, but from what from what I'm aware of, the the chains are permanent, mm. um, and there are people pushing for a revision period. Mm. Uh, but from how I understand it at the moment, it's that that that's pretty much it from now moving forward in the near future. Mm. Um, and as I said, there's <laughs> there's lots of things we can go into, but lots of lots of variables in the situation. But um, I know I think kind of how it was bringing could have. Could have been done a little mm. bit better, in my opinion. Yeah, I certainly um, heard a lot of that around the traps. Yeah, so and as I said, like I, I generally take a fair few people fishing that don't get to do it often. Mm. And Spanish is one of those for me anyway in this area. It's a consistent fish, and I can mm. go out like. Oh, it's I, a staple fish in this area, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, hundred percent. And I don't. We don't have to spend a full day on the water too. No. I can take them out, and we'll be home by nine o'clock yeah. and have a few Spanish in the esky kind yep. of thing. So. Yep. For me, that yeah, they're, they're kind of my favourite. So I've kind of waffled on a bit there. No, but no. To get back on track, they're probably one of my one of my favourite fish to target. Yep. Um, but in general, I like any kind of fishing. Like oh, for sure. any any kind of fishing gets me going. Yep. Like whether it be freshwater spinner baits for bass in Saratoga to like I got into oh, about a year and a half ago into micro jigging a fair bit mm-hmm. out reef. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love micro jigging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought electric reels to go out fishing off the shelf. Uh, still haven't done it though. <laughs> 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 I talked myself into buying a, a one kilowatt transducer and, and uh, getting an electric reel set up and everything telling myself I'm going to go off the shelf. And I got some red country that I like fishing. That's about, it's red. Oh, in- red emperor. emperor. Yeah, not yeah. red deer. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, we're, all, we're off the deer, deer species now. So yeah, no, red emperor. Um, oh, uh, but because uh, you yeah. sit in red deer country, fish yellow belly, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, there'd be a few bass out there too in some of the places I hunt for them. But um, the, uh, I know, the I know a very funny story of a friend of mine who was fishing on uh, Cressbrook and saw some some happenings with a red deer. I won't go into it right now, yeah. but let's just say there were. There were some some interesting antics on the banks with hunters and red deer, but yeah, time for another story. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, I'll get him on the podcast because I'd yeah, love to hear yeah. him tell the tale. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like where I go fishing for red emperor, uh, it's another probably fifteen kilometres to the shelf, uh, and I got a few starter marks off off some blokes I know, and 
just never made that extra push to go mm. out there and do it because uh, lately in Bundaberg, the weather windows we've had have been <laughs> absolutely atrocious. So it's kind of picking what I want to do. Yeah. Um, like I really enjoy doing overnight trips out towards the islands as well. Yep. Uh, but same thing, you need a need a good run of weather out there. Yeah. So especially in a like it's a centre console boat. So when we're camping on the boat, we're just in the open kind of thing. So yeah, once it gets gets rough and you get a bit of spray on you and that, she, uh, I got to uh, say I'm, very, I'm rather envious. I, I don't have the stomach for the ocean. I don't yeah. have the stomach for travelling much at all, to be honest. Yeah. Um, my last. My last adventure chasing any sort of Spanish was around Christmas time up at uh, Myra with my brother-in-law. Yeah. So we we're staying up there, and um, he's like, "Oh, we'll get up in the morning. We'll, I've got some marks out the front here, and we'll troll for some Spanish." I'm like, "Oh, it sounds great, you know." And uh, I forgot to take some travel calms or whatever it was that I yep. needed to have, and I didn't even have breakfast, which was another, you know, faux pas. Anyway, so cruise out the river and it's all good. You know, the river was very, very uh, calm. Get out the front there and it's choppy. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good. And I was like, oh, no, no, we'll just troll. We're not going to pull up an anchor or anything. So, you know, we'll keep moving, be all right. And usually with me and boats, if they're moving, I'm all right. But trolling and actually traveling, you know, yeah, completely yeah. different. You may as well be anchored up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we went backwards and forwards around these marks about six times and my brother-in-law pulled in three or four Spanish and I think I threw up about 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> you were just barely up for so, him, mate. So by the, by the time I couldn't even I couldn't even lift my head anymore, I'm like, oh, dude, yeah. we've got to go back in. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> and we ended the mouth of the river and cruised along and within five minutes I was fine. Yeah, yeah. It was just, just shit out. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's um, funny. Like the old uh, seasickness, though, it's, um, it's pretty uh, unforgiving. Oh, like okay. I've had people out that you look at them and like... <laughs> Most people I explain like if you if you come down my boat we don't go back in. Like mm. if you if you have you been on the ocean, do you get sick? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm fine, I don't get sick. I'm like, Well, just so you know, well, once we get out there we're we're out there for the day. And yeah. Then, yeah, some of them start <laughs> yodeling over so I'd not even halfway out and it's yeah. like, Oh, you're gonna have a rough yeah. day, are you? Like I uh, <clears throat> mentioned a little bit previous episodes I lived overseas for about five and a half years and did a lot of flying during that period yeah and um yeah planes and i don't go well either yeah so almost gets to the point now where if i don't have medication and i, I haven't sorted that out within half an hour you know yeah. the the seatbelt lights go out and i'm up and i'm throwing up yeah you know, right. or even done with now right, yeah. let's get on with it you know like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just one of those things i've just learned to live with you yeah know? and um buses and trains the whole works yeah right but uh yeah so so you also mentioned before that uh you've got your firearms license yeah yeah Tell us so, about that. uh i got me fire i said last year i got me firearms license but that's a bit of a, a bit of a porky i actually got it the year before i'm pretty sure oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. i uh something i thought about getting for a while and never really kind of put much more thought into it other than, oh, it'd be nice to have. And mm, mm. at that stage, I wasn't getting back into hunting. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I ended up, a uh, fellow from work, he got his and kind of explained how easy it was. Like, I did have my firearms license when I was uh, younger. Like, I had my youth license. Mm-hmm. I used to shoot with my old man a bit yep. in the ranges at Childers and then kind of moved out of home and just completely forgot about it. Like, um so I ended up, he talked me into like 
just might as well go get it kind of thing. Mm. So I went and got me license and then had me license up until last year and uh, got that first year. So I decided, well, it might be might be good to, to kind of get a firearm in the arsenal. Yep. Uh, and my old boy had a Howard 223 there that he'd had for a while. Um, May have another one just recently picked up myself yeah, yeah so nice. um and he wanted to gift that to me as my first rifle kind Sweet. of thing so yep. yeah got the permit to acquire and everything and and got the 223 and it was kind of like getting into bow hunting to start with again it was mm-hmm. a whole new kind of way of learning to do things kind of yep. thing and um, people people think that uh rifle hunting oh it's easy you got a rifle you can just shoot them from a couple hundred meters away you're fine or it's it's not that case I think at it's, all, it's like. very interesting because <coughs> it was only a few months ago I took my first peg with the, the 44 May and I, I said on another podcast episode that um, the, the first one we did, we were actually out at Marrow and recorded the podcast and I've been out there a few months before I dropped the peg but, you know, I whacked it from 25 metres. Yeah. You know, like I stalked in on it <laughs> and it was just, it, it wasn't a matter of I could shoot this from 50, I could shoot mm. this from 100, you know, I was shooting yeah. inch creeps at 100 off, off the off the cuff but it's my mindset was just oh this is what i do this is how i hunt yeah you know and um and you know the thing didn't take another step it just absolutely knocked it square on its ass yeah um but it was just you know like i had to had to to stalk in and mind the wind and um you know there was the cattle there i had to push off to the side and you know like hope they didn't go the wrong way and that sort of stuff and, and 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 approach it that way so I think it's a funny crossover with bow hunters when 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 we get into the rifle side of things that the mindset of the way we hunt doesn't necessarily um, step away. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we still have that hunter or that close quarters hunting. Because yeah. don't get me wrong, you know, rifle hunting is still hunting, but you know that that close quarters hunting that that we're sort of um, practiced at, and it's just our mindset that it's okay. Well. Um, you know, pushing to get into that that distance, yeah. and um, there's there's something about that that I don't think ever goes away. Yeah, yeah. And like um, <clears throat> I noticed too, just with myself personally, like on on what well, we touched on earlier about like face group book groups, you get a lot of support in them, but there's mm. also a lot of um, <laughs> that go the other way in them as well. Um, like I've taken deer with my two, two, three. Um, I know where this is going. <laughs> and a lot of people will start. I've had messages of people cussing me out and that, and Dead should safe. be shooting nothing less than a 308 and oh, yeah. carrying on. And, and I come from a mindset, is that's what I try to explain. Like, I come from in mind of, of archery hunting. Like, it's, it's all about shot placement and being confident in your shot, and also not taking ridiculous shots like yep. <clears throat> two to three is more than enough to kill red deer humanely and effectively under a shorter distance and with correct shot placement shot like placement. and trying to explain people that yeah like take your 308 you got shot at deer it's going to run off as well with your mm. 308 for me it's more about the uh the shot placement and also knowing your terminal velocity of your 
of the pill you're sending down, like how much foot pounds you, you're going to need for a larger kind of animal mm. and keeping it within that 150 metre range with a 2 3 I personally, I'm shooting 60 grain um, ballistic tips. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had absolutely great success with mm. the, the deer I've taken with them. knock one over yesterday, day before? Uh, not a deer. So, yeah, I went hunting this, this uh, last weekend, a um, couple of days ago with a mate, had the opportunity to go out on a block that I can only kind of hunt with him. Mm-hmm. But the way the wind was, it was absolutely shocking. We we come through the gate. It was only a thousand acre block. Um, come through the gate straight over the first hill. Here's a mob of oh, seven to ten does mm. and one spiker in there. Just that already busted it from the get go. Yeah, so yeah. look, they were at <clears throat> they were at two hundred meters. Um, if I had like a six five Creedmoor or a mm. three oh eight, mm. um, I'd be more than confident in taking a shot at them at two hundred. No dramas, but with the 223 in hand, happy to just kind of let them walk. Mm, um, mm. It's kind of at that limit of, of what the cartridge is capable in, in my opinion. So, yeah, just kind of let them walk. But we kind of changed our game plan because coming through the gate kind of blew, a, blew our scent across the whole paddock anyway. Yeah, so yeah. changed our game plan and uh, went to another block that, that me mate had just down the road and um, in search of some pigs. Uh, within two minutes of being there, there was a mob of pigs down the dam in this little bit of a swampy country. So Fantastic. Uh, it's not really swampy, but <clears throat> in the wet, it gets a bit swampy down yep. there. Yep. But uh, so he he took his bow. So this is the same one that kind of got me back into yeah, hunting. Yeah. And we we kind of got each other back into hunting. So we both bought a new bow at the same time So because yeah. he didn't have a bow at the time. Like yep. he had his rifles, but yep. so we kind of both bought Hoyt's last year at the same time kind of thing so is he like a bloke yeah yeah he he's, yeah he, he, he enjoys his height so he ended up going because <clears throat> he wasn't sure too sure if he wanted to get right back into it so mm. he went he didn't end up going with the flagship he went with the the next tier down from the ventum i think it's the axis or um yeah, I can't mm. off the top of my head. I can't remember the name, but it's the the step down from the from the flagship kind of bow, um, just to see if he kind of wanted to get back into it full time. But even that, he loves that bow, like mm. <clears throat> unreal bow to shoot. Like he took a pig on the weekend, so yeah. So he took the bow, I took the rifle, and um, got in on this mob of pigs. And wind was absolutely perfect from the get go. Like mm. we stalked into this dam that they were kind of moving towards, and then they moved out straight in front of us like out of the open perfect so he got one with the bow and got a couple with the gun so picked kind of <clears throat> there was one kind of big stinky bull we left him but got the meat off the other so mm. um but yeah it was, it was great kind of went from a dud trip being busted first thing in the morning and having to just sit there and watch him because he only had his bow with him mm. and i had the two two three so yep. Yep kind of sit there and watch those mob of deer walk off to um, being successful with a few pigs. Like, yeah, yeah it's just all about being adaptive, I suppose, Absolutely. and and kind of knowing when the when the gig's up, like having your scent. Like we had probably 25 knot winds yeah. there. Yeah, it was pretty crap on the wind. When, as soon as we got up over that ridge, because as we were coming into the property, it was fine. It had a bit of a back swirl and wasn't too strong, but as soon as we got on top of that ridge, it just blew our scent down the hole and it's kind of a long skinny block as well oh, so right. our chances of success were success were pretty much nil after that because even <clears throat> if it hadn't blown our scent obviously we'd have to get to the back block 
back of the block and then work our way out but there was no way of getting to the back of the block bar going straight down the guts of it so yeah yeah it's just kind of um bit of a learning curve probably should have checked the wind before we before we went there and things like that it's funny you say that because in um, a little bit more recently, I've actually downloaded the Windy app on my phone, yep. which you probably yeah, that's what, that's what I have for yeah, my fishing. Yeah, yeah. And I've, yep. I've done that specifically with properties in mind. Yeah, mostly because I don't go out fishing anyway. But <laughs> 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 I stick to Barra from the river bank. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I've, I found that very useful, yeah. um, particularly if the, there's a little bit of turbulence in the weather. And um, yeah, the other day, Friday, Saturday around here, it was she was a bit sort of. Um, bit of a bit of guesswork with those those that bit of rain and those clouds and that kicking through like they were, but um, yeah, out of the, the block that I hunt at Mara, which is it's nice and big and flat out there. Yeah. You know, it's it's that weather that might cause the issues. Um, you can you can typically bank on the wind doing certain things. You know, pre pre sun up and then once the sun is up, you go okay, what's well, going to come from here? So I'll yeah. back out and I'll come around here and I'll hunt that area or yeah. that direction or whatever. But that um, that windy app is, is really useful for that. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you can zoom right in and see what's going on. And I suppose to to touch back on what we were speaking about earlier, as far as um, <clears throat> kind of learning new new strategies of hunting too, like uh, hunting with thermals in mind, like because mm-hmm. a lot of the country I hunt for deers, hilly country, so as far as hunting with your thermals in mind, something I never even knew was a thing. Like you can you can have a <clears throat> a five knot northerly and be coming up a coming up a slope on sun up and it, it's just dragging your scent straight up that hill mm. and it's negating whatever wind you've got coming back towards you kind of thing. So um, I suppose it, it comes back to keeping all that in mind as well, mm. especially with thermals. Like if you've got a strong enough wind to kind of override that and yeah, the whole, the whole weather side of thing is one of the biggest sides to um, hunting yeah. in my opinion, like um, <clears throat> especially with spot and stalk hunting, like the uh, the weather, as you know, probably countless of times yourselves, the wind swirled at the last mm-hmm. minute of a stalk and just busted the last two hours of legwork you've put in. Like, <laughs> I mentioned it again in the, in the previous episode where um, uh, being out at the block at Mara. And I took my mate Brady out, who, who's a new hunter, but hasn't dropped anything yet. Yeah. And every time we've been out there, Murphy's turned up, um, and we've been walking along. We came across, came along to this waterhole, big, long, not very wide waterhole, probably sixty meters across, and it was dry all all the way along, bar, you know, down towards the far end. And as we're walking along, Brett was on one side of it, sort of on, on the tree line, I was on the other, and these two two big balls down the far end, just walk down, bang on midday, have a drink, have a yeah. bit of a wallow. And I was like, oh, we're, we're on here, we're on here, you know. And um, they, were, they were on my side and I motioned to Brett to come back over to where I was because there was a nice pad to walk up to and a few trees to hide behind and that sort of thing. And um, anyway, they, they didn't play the game. They didn't get spooked, they didn't get winded, we didn't get winded, anything like that, but they just didn't play the game. They ended up turning and going back up into the, the long grass and... So I thought, oh, we'll follow them up there and go through the grass and up where we had a whole bunch of um, another watercourse up the top with a bunch of brigalows. And we're sort of walking through there and sort of trying to pick the line that they might have gone. And I spotted this big black and white ball. And um, he he wandered up this up this watercourse, standing brigalows. And then for some reason, he's he's basically done like not a one eighty, but he's he's 
done a full cutback yep. and he's going to come back past us. And I motioned to Brett, you know, like, he's coming, get ready, you know. And this big boars walk behind this bush at about, a, oh, it would have been 18, 20 metre mark. Yep. And, you know, Brett was doing the new the new hunter, sort of getting, <laughs> everything, getting everything ready sort of thing. And, yep. and <clears throat> I, I'd actually knelt down and I'd drawn back and had an arrow ready, you know, for, for whatever. I wasn't going to shoot it first, but, you know. Yeah. And um, you saw this big ball just walk out, just came out perfectly past this bush and he just stopped. And I was recording with my GoPro at the time. Yeah. And you literally just saw the tips of the, the grass, which was about three and a half foot high. And yeah. it's just puffed ever so gently back the other way. Yeah. And within the half a second, he's just gone. Gone, yep. And he's just like, come on. <laughs> you know, like he just would have walked and Brady would have eventually would have shot at about 15 or 16 metres. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, man, like, A, they didn't stay there and wallow longer yeah. in the middle of the day. And then B, just Murphy turns up and the wind just... Yeah, <laughs> right at the wrong time. Every time, eh? Hey, like, you know, I, I've, especially starting off too, um, back in the day, I had a lot of lot of blown stalks, like, just from swirling wind and, and not really knowing how to approach a situation. And, like, um, especially with goats and that, like, moving forward out of the wind to cut them off where they're you think they're going to be heading, things like that. Like, yeah, yeah you just learn learn things every trip you go out kind of thing. 100%. But, yeah, I think, I think the weather's the <clears throat> the biggest thing to overcome, especially with that, that wind. Like, mm. And knowledge of your block too, eh? Yeah, well, well that's right. Like, like as I was saying earlier. As I was saying earlier with the deer, like ugh, so many unsuccessful trips and like it, it's gotten to the point now where once I'd kind of worked out the lay of the land, how – because there's a few different mobs of deer on the property – like how each one kind of works, where their home base area is. Um, since that first run of, of not harvesting any animals, every single trip I had once I started getting them, I haven't had a trip where I haven't been successful so, yeah, nice. on that block. So it just goes to show like, like a lot of people can get discouraged. Like they got these grand ideas of going out and getting a monster stag on their first trip and all <laughs> that. But if you really want to put the effort in, it goes a long way to kind of mm. do all those empty trips, but not just do them, kind of at the end of it, assess why things went wrong, kind of make of a plan for the next time you want to go back. And I was kind of lucky as well. Like um, my wife letting me do as much hunting as I do. Like um, it could have been quite easy for her to just say, no, you've been out every weekend mm. for the last six weeks. Like, mm. but the block that I hunt being only two hours from home, like, and some, a couple of blocks even closer than that, I was able to go there kind of every weekend consistently. Just do a day trip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. do a day trip, like, yeah. just to keep, sometimes, depends, because if my wife was working all weekend, I'd go out and just camp on the on the block. Oh, yes, um, If she was only working one day, well, that's the day, I'd, I'd just do a day yeah. trip down there kind of thing. Kind There's of a lot like, to be said for the, the places close enough for day trips, hey? Yeah. It's, it's something that a lot of, uh, not a lot, but some hunters are very fortunate to have. Yeah. And it's something that a lot of hunters would give their left arm for. Yeah. yeah it, it really is something pretty um, pretty um, fortuitous to have. Yeah. Um, and, and for the most part, I don't think it matters what the game is. Yeah. You know, there was a, a block that I had access to here um, not far out of town, only five acres, but just rabbits everywhere. More yep. rabbits on the block than I've ever seen in my life in Queensland. Well, yep. This area of Queensland. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the owners there were just like, let's come out and 
you know, whenever you like. It was, yep. It's only five acres, but yeah. basically it had a creek running through it and, and some good stalking spots yep. that you could move from sort of one side of it to the other. And by the time you came back again, the rabbits were back. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it was just somewhere to go and hunt something, yeah, yep. you know. And no, it wasn't wasn't um, pigs or goats or deer or you know any of the bigger game. Yeah. But it was really, really good fun and good value, yeah. and it was only it was only forty five minutes drive. Yeah, that's you know? right. So, so yeah. no, I, I did luck into the to the kind of the blocks that I hunt. So mm. I'm pretty pretty lucky because I don't have really any local blocks around Bundaberg. Like in saying that, I haven't put any effort into trying to get on any local blocks, mm. um, just because I've been focused on. <clears throat> on the properties I do have access to. And like I touched on earlier, like <clears throat> you're there to, to do a job for the landowner as well. Like mm. his main concern is, is pest control. Um, and that's why like I copped a lot of flack online as well for taking as many does as I did this season, um, which for me, <clears throat> getting a big trophy, that's awesome. Good to have on the wall, but it's not what I'm there for. Like. Mm. Don't get me wrong, they're good to get. And if I see one in a mob, well, of course, I'm going to target that one. But at the end of the day, I'm there to reduce numbers for the property owner and, and harvest meat for mm. myself. Mm. And like I, I had a lot of um, kind of people messaging me and <clears throat> telling me, oh, look, there was some pretty colourful language, but... <laughs> I think it's bullshit, eh? Um, oh. And telling me that I'm going to ruin the block and all this. But at the end of the day... But is it their block? No, no, at the end of you the know, day, if you want to ruin your block, you ruin your block. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I just can't cop other hunters telling other hunters yeah. what they should or shouldn't do exactly. in that space. You know, and like, that's what yeah. I mean. Like, for one, it's not their block. For two, all those no, those fourteen, fifteen deer I took were actually off four or five blocks, not all off the one property. Mm-hmm. Three, the deer numbers on the blocks that I'm taking are. Insane. I think I sent you a video mm. of a mob of no joke, forty hinds. Yep. Um, all on a hillside. Like the numbers down there are unbelievable and kind of <clears throat> double-edged sword because people kind of think, oh, well, it's easy to go shoot deer. Then, well, yeah, even even, deer. even even with numbers, it's, they're not look, in a pen. And they're still deer. Yeah, the more yeah. deer there, the more eyes that are on you as well, kind of thing. 100%. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm I'm there to to provide a service to the landholder to keep my access because I'm fairly lucky. Like I'm, mm. I'm one of only two people that can hunt on the property. So yep. it's, it's in a very well sought after area as well. Mm. So <clears throat> I kind of locked in, lucked into getting access to the block, yep. but I've also got to keep that relationship with the landholder to keep my access Absolutely. on that block. And it comes down to small things like um, there was one trip up in the back of the block there where there's no vehicle access, I noticed a, a small amount of giant rat's tail coming up. So I let him know about it. And uh, like the next trip I'd done the following weekend, I took a nap, small spray bottle on my on my kit with me in there and <clears throat> kind of sprayed that rat's tail for him. Mm. Uh, actually, the last trip that I had out there a few weeks ago where I took a, uh, took a stag that I'd kind of been chasing for a couple of trips, he'd given me the slip on. Um, there was a fence that was down as well. I had some uh, ratchet strainers in, in my ute, just restrained the fence for yeah, him nice. and let him know, like just kind of actively helping the land yeah, as well. Like goes a long way. Yep, so. sure does. So what would you say, you know, like you said, you've, you've sort of been 
you know, it's fresh in your mind how you, when you first started out and you've sort of done it for a bit, stepped away for a bit, come back to it. What advice would you give somebody new to the sport? Um, to the sport of, of bow hunting um, is just just kind of keep at it, get out there, like practice every single day, like <clears throat> as far as being proficient with your bow, um, is it's just all about getting out there and shooting it. Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, for me, it breaks down into two subjects. There's the proficiency of shooting with your bow and then the whole hunting aspect side of things. So for me, in my opinion, I think you're best off just <clears throat> getting proficient with your bow before you even think about going out to take an animal, Absolutely. which um, can be frustrating because I know how hard it is getting started, <clears throat> becoming accurate and not kind of understanding um, kind of using your anchor points and your bow torque in your hand and and you follow through on your shot and not pushing your bow down. Like the, you could sit there and list off things for hours of, yep. of, of what goes into it. But I think the main thing would be, yeah, just keep at it and utilise your resources like your, your forums on Facebook and YouTube is, in my opinion, the biggest thing. You do get a lot of contradicting information on the youtube side of things as well but just trialing everything kind of and then mm. once you feel like you're good enough with a with a bow then it's just about getting out there and and having a go really like as i said i, I got skunked the first eight to a dozen trips out there didn't get anything which mm. can be disheartening in some ways but you just kind of got to persist and persist. learn from each trip that you've done and <clears throat> and try and think of how you can approach it differently and and um, yeah, just stay consistent with it. Really, yep. like um, yeah, consistency. I guess that's that's the main driving force. And <clears throat> as a you know, as a, again, the same sort of frame. What would you see, and how do you see hunting in this day and age with regards to social aspects, social acceptance? You know, um, like how, how does it go for you, for example, in a work setting? Uh, so with a with a work setting for me not too bad um like i don't really talk about it unless i know people are, are fine with it like mm-hmm. i suppose oh, that's not really true to a degree but generally the the blokes i work with um they don't have an issue with hunting a lot of them don't care either way. Uh, one fellow I actually took out hunting with me. I got him his first deer. Yeah, nice. Um, but <clears throat> as far as a social aspect, it can be a pretty um, red hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and stay away from as much kind of <clears throat> controversy as I can, but at the same time, I'm still open to discussion with people that are against it or kind of maybe even sitting on the fence mm-hmm. where... I'm more than happy to have discussions with them so they can see it from from my point of view. Like we're not just out there just mowing down everything that we see and mm-hmm. like we care about the animal having a like a, a quick humane death, I suppose, which in my opinion is a lot nicer than what happens to them in nature, whether it be old age or, yep. <clears throat> or um, yep. animal attacks. But then that also opened up a whole nother discussion mm. with them on that side of things. So it's kind of can be an endless rabbit hole that you go down yep. with people. Um, and generally you got two ends of the spectrums. You got the hunters and you got the anti hunters and 
either one aren't going to change their views no matter what conversation you have with them. Yeah. Uh, so it's more so the people, not so much in the middle on the, f- not so much on the fence about it, but that don't understand about it and don't understand why we do it, mm-hmm. um, is the biggest kind of people you want to start a conversation. Obviously, if they're not <clears throat> wanting to pursue a conversation in it, like it's important not to push it as well. Yeah. Um, but. Look, I've, I've had people, I've had literally last week while I was out at work, I was having a chat with someone at the pub that I was staying at um, that was against it. Mm. And kind of by the end of it, he was um, kind of asking me if I was coming back out, if I could bring some, some venison out for him to try. So, <laughs> yeah, I think in some That's situations, awesome. it's definitely people not understanding and yep. um, just being open to that conversation. Um, but at the same time, realising that, Nine times out of ten, you're not going to change anyone's opinion. Mm. Um, you can only kind of hope to educate them a bit better. Like, yes, there is blokes <clears throat> in the sport that kind of ruin it for the rest of rest of us, but for the ones that are doing it the right way and have animal welfare in mind, I think it's important to be able to open up a conversation about the topic. Mm. Um, but me personally, like I waffle on a bit and I'm not the most fluid with my discussions, so I can get a bit confused. I reckon I've got about an hour and a half worth of uh, audio here that says otherwise, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think it is very important to open those discussions uh, socially, yep. but at the same time, not expect to um, go changing anyone's opinion anytime mm. soon. But um, I think pers- personally, like having been around this for a very long time, um, I just try and hope that, especially, you know, in, in what is 2023, that we can expect the, um, the acceptance of what we do, given that we uh, are of the right uh, attitude in regards to, like you said, uh, effectively, humanely dispatching animals in, in the right way. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody who doesn't do that deserves um, half a second of, of anybody's consideration because yep. that's just wrong. Um, but for those of us who go out of our way to do everything we possibly can to make sure that um, those animals that we harvest are dispatched um, with as little suffering as possible, and as you said, which in light of what could happen in the reality of nature is <clears throat> extremely preferable to you know being ripped apart by dogs or dingoes or you know um dying of old age and you know all that sort of stuff disease or whatever but you know when i suppose i have these conversations with people i just would like to think that there is some uh level of um acceptance that um you know shown to us that is shown to a lot of other people and a lot of other things and a lot of other areas of life yeah. in 2023 that we're supposed to. Yeah. You know, we keep getting told, you know, to be accepting of other people's choices and lifestyles or whatever. Yeah. But for some reason, certain things tend to be exempt from that preaching, you yeah. know. And you sort of think, well, come on, hang on, let's, you know, fair sucker to have here. Yeah. You know, if you're going to preach it for, social acceptance of this well how come this is exempt yeah how come our group is is being vilified yeah you know and and i think i think that um those things we touched on earlier you know like uh post-pandemic and um you know more more modern era approach to the understanding of 
of the sourcing of, of meat and the, the resource that, that these animals are, it's gaining some more acceptance. Um, and as I, I touched on uh, in, um, in the first episode of the podcast where um, one of the other guys that I listened to a fair bit, you know, he sort of said something that, that rang true with me was that we don't need to necessarily convince people who are anti-hunting, but we need to have those discussions with people who are sitting on the fence. Yeah. You know, and it's not necessarily that we need more hunters. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's um, right. But it's such that, you know, obviously more hunters is better because they're sort of more for our thing and what we do and they're yeah. even better, better um, um, voice, more voices to, to, to go forward and, and have other people understand the, the cause of the, the pastime. But it's those people sitting on the fence that, like old mate in the pub, he's yeah. like, oh, no, I'm not, not really, no, I'm not really sure about this. I don't necessarily agree with it. And it's like, hey, dude, can you bring me some meat? <laughs> you know, like, that's uh, a good conversation. That's, uh, a, that's a good outcome. And I'm very outspoken uh, on my social media. Um, like, I do post a lot of my, not so much the, I suppose, quote-unquote trophy photos, but mm-hmm. I do post a lot of the animals at harvest, but I also post, um, like, my butchering process and yep. a lot of the end meals that I make, like yep. as I said with the lasagnas and the crumb steaks and that, like I'm very outspoken on my social media about the um, the benefits of harvesting your own meat and yep. um, kind of what you can make with it, um, which I suppose was an easy transition for me just because of um, oh, coming up fishing, like I've always harvested fish. For consumption, like which is the most ironic of all hunting, isn't it? You yeah. know, fishing is hunting and it's accepted. But, yeah, yeah, but, that's know, right. Mammal shooting, or you know, um, bird shooting isn't. Yeah, and like I do practice catch and release fishing as well uh, on species that I don't see as table fare. Mm-hmm. Um, but like generally in my household, like we before I started hunting, like a large percentage of our protein intake was fish, fish that I've yep. caught. Like, yep. So for me personally, kind of being half self-sufficient in far of food side of things was always something that I'd done regardless like, mm. with my fishing. So mm. I think moving into the, the meat harvesting side of things with the deer was an easier transition. But um, yep. yeah, as I said, I'm very vocal about my... my um, support of of harvesting your own animals and things like that supply that is done humanely Mm. and and things like that and i think we touched on it just briefly about like people have hygiene concerns out in the field like i carry cheap two dollar tarps in my in my backpack so if i am butchering an animal where it's long grass it's or it's bare dirt or whatever i have my uh, platform laid out a clean platform to place my meat in i have all my meat bags and things like that yeah, nice. and yep. getting it back to the esky to cool down as quick as possible things like that go a long way so yep yeah right. so going forward jack where where do you see yourself as a hunter in let's go five years time um, have you got any goals you, know, you want to travel anywhere you want to do any of that sort of thing you want yeah, to take a trip do you, yeah. want to, you know like <laughs> That's what, 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 five yeah. years time what are you doing you're here on the nose there mate so cape trip is something even back when i first got into it mm-hmm. uh getting a buffalo up the cape oh for sure is always been a, a kind of bucket list for me that's a lot of meat i've got a big bag for that one <laughs> <laughs> it's a big tarp, a right? carry it out. yeah so uh Doing a buffalo hunt up north uh, is a big thing for me. Uh, it's always been a bucket lip trip. But also, um, 
hunting over in Alaska or nice. Canada. Yep. Um, one of those two is something since I've gotten back into the sport is definitely an end goal that I'd hope in the next decade I'll be mm-hmm. able to achieve. Um, like it's obviously <clears throat> a bit more difficult now. I've got a young family and things like that. It might have been easier to do back when I was young. I could just go overseas and yep. do a trip for myself. So definitely something I'll have to work towards. But yeah, definitely the next five to 10 years, I want to achieve the uh, uh, buffalo up north, up the Gulf, and then either hunt Alaska or Canada for moose or black bear. Moose which, or black bear, nice. I was going to ask what you might Yeah, to, okay. so it'll be moose or black bear, preferably both. But yep. um, those are the two that I'd be interested to take with a compound bow. Yep. Um, and like black bear hunting is another controversial mm-hmm. kind of thing. You can kind of get heavily politicized. Like I'd prefer to do a black bear hunt, not over bait, like, sure. um, just preferably. Yep. Um, but at the same time, majority of black bears are taken over bait, which mm. is a whole, whole nother conversation people mm. have in regards to it's not hunting, but. So have a look, um, have a look on the, I think the most recent photo I shared by the Brackenware socials. Yeah. Um, Rogue Llama hunts is his yeah, tag. Right. Yeah. So he's he's um, a friend of ours who who uh, uses our gear over in Alaska. Yeah. And um, yeah, check him out. Might be a good contact to. Yeah. Right. I've got to get in contact yep. with him and, yep. and talk to him about. Yeah. No. Definitely. Because he's um he he loves his black bear sausage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So as I yeah. said, like I've done a lot of a uh, lot of watching of YouTube and and primarily a lot of watching of Meat Eater too. Yes. Um, fantastic. So that was. Um, kind of a big thing of wanting to get back into hunting as well mm-hmm. is uh, watching that and more so that's what convinced me to my first deer I harvested I only took the back legs and the back straps because mm. uh, I wasn't sure about because I'd heard everyone carry on about how yep. how strong it is and disgusting it is and that so yep. but uh, watching a fair bit of meat eater wanted me to give a go at uh, kind of expanding my horizons culinary wise with, mm. with wild game mm. so mm. um yeah, look, watching watching that, uh, the topic's been bring up a lot about black bear, about how good it is. Yes. Uh, so it's definitely something I wouldn't mind trying. And it's interesting too because the same thing on the, on the socials there, I've shared stuff from a number of people around the world that use our stuff and, um, you know, in particular um, I've made deliberate comment with some posts to, to, to make sure that people are aware that you know, different approaches uh, in different parts of the world are culturally acceptable. Yeah. And maybe something here that we find not culturally acceptable in, in our hunting practices doesn't give us the right to condemn or judge yeah. the way they do things in other places. Yeah. Uh, again, so long as they're done humanely. Yeah. And, you know, that that is something I think is also... Um, it's a it's a strong educational point that comes out of the access to the to the YouTubes and to the Steve Rinellas and, and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. You know, you get to see these different approaches and the way things are done, and you go, okay, well, yeah, they they hunt over bait for black bear ninety yeah. percent of the time, or whatever it is. This, this is the way it's done. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. um, listening to a podcast yesterday where they talk about hunting um, wild boar. I was in Europe somewhere. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but using um, uh, Greenfield Spotlight, and that's the way they do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll, <clears throat> they'll, they'll rig torches with green filters on their bows and, and, and hunt the balls that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and you go, well, okay, for a long time here, certainly back when I started, you did not blow a hunt under light. Yeah. You did not. It was, you no, know, it's dark. You, you do not use artificial light. That's an event that's disadvantage to the game. Yeah. And you just don't do it. Yeah. You know, it's common now. Yeah. You know, so it's just one of those things where um, the culturally acceptable practice over there it doesn't deserve to be criticized yeah. just because it's not something uh, we that's what I mean. Like uh, hunting over a bay for black bear is not something I see myself wanting to do, as I said before. But at the same time, I understand that that's generally. Mm what it is so i'm still open to i know nothing in regards to that sure. hunting hunting practice so yep. it's, it's not something i particularly aim to do but i'm still happy to learn and and do it that way and <clears throat> kind of learn why why the reasons they are that do it that mm. way so mm. just because it's something i don't a style i don't want to hunt doesn't mean that um i'm going to kind of condemn it either so For sure. yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, certain aspects of certain hunting that people do around the world, you go, okay, well, that's not for me, yeah. but I'm not going to condemn them for doing it. Yeah. You know, I don't need to, to diss what they're doing or, or speak down to it or or cast aspersions on them and, and rubbish them. Yeah. It's just not for me. Yeah, that's like hunting in stands and blinds. Like, um, I've never done it. I probably won't do it. Mm. I don't I don't think it's really big in you Australia. You ain't too old like me and your knees are cracked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where you fall off that roof that you can see over there and you break your leg and decide you're not walking up that hill today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've kind of got the same, same. That's why I ended up going with the backpack because I've had a few road bike accidents under my belt now. I'm only fairly young still, but the old body's pretty beat up. So yeah. that's why I ended up having to go with the, uh, the kind of better gear to save the old back a bit. So... But, um, yeah, like I, I've never hunted out of a blind or, or per se anything like that. I don't see myself ever doing that. But at the same time, if that's how people choose to hunt, well, mm. that's how they choose to hunt. So, yep. um, But, yeah, always open to new experiences. I just prefer the, the spot and stalk style of hunting. Mm. That's kind of what I've always done. I just have trouble sitting still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a bit the same. Like, I just want to get out and yeah. get into it kind of thing. So Yeah, I think I pull up for five minutes for a rest and it's like, all right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Time to move on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it depends on the context. You know, you, you're hunting, hunting you know, dams out west and you know the goats coming in at half past four in the afternoon. Yeah. You, you sit and wait. Yeah. You know, you know that's going on. That's, that's what's done. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we might wrap it up then, mate. We reckon. Yeah, we've been jabbering right. for a while. <laughs> Look, Jay, it's been a, it's been a really uh, it's really a really good chat, mate. Um, and um, for those listening, this is actually the first proper conversation I've had with Jay, other than Facebook chat. Yeah. So, mate, it's been good to get to know you, yeah. and um, been really interesting to hear some of your backstory and and the bits and pieces. And um, we've covered a lot of ground, and bows and rifles and fishing, and yep. you know, going to to Alaska and. You're going to be jealous that I'm leaving for Canada in 28 <laughs> okay. days. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Not hunting while I'm there, but... Yeah. Oh, that's even worse then. Oh, yeah. Hopefully through the family connections that my yeah. wife has there, we might be able to line something up yeah, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the stealth mission that she doesn't know about. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then as I said earlier, into uh, into Colorado and the week before I arrive at my mate's place, he's, he's out hunting. With elk, his, yeah. his elk tags, but anyway. yeah, that that'd be another another um, dream hunt is archery elk. Oh, um, yeah. I've watched a lot of that on on online. Yeah. Like, seems a bit uh, probably a bit more demanding than than I'd be capable of, mm. but it'd definitely be a good experience yes. for sure. But no, it's yeah. certainly something that's um, that I've, I've got a, a bucket list for. But yeah. I don't have a big bucket list to be honest. But yeah, the more I think about it, those couple of things and 
I think dipping my toes into the actual to the to the country, you know, while I'm there and having a look around, I yeah, think that'll getting a bit of a feel for it. At least at least drive the motivation to start tucking away a bit more cash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start actually planning towards something. Stop over buying there. toys and start booking booking <laughs> trips. Yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah. No, mate, it's been a pleasure no, having you on. No, thanks for having me, mate. Um, yeah, it's thanks been good. for coming along and um and uh, look forward to hearing more and seeing yeah. more and hopefully people people make sense out of my gibberish but <laughs> oh, it's not your gibberish it's mine mate. It's, it's all good yeah. all right cheers cheers mate well there you go team episode three in the bank i certainly hope you enjoyed this episode uh i know i really enjoyed having a yarn with jay and um definitely always happy to have a yarn with anyone about hunting fishing outdoors which is the whole point of this show so uh, tune in again next time uh, episode four coming to you near a podcast stream soon this one obviously and uh, please give us a like give us a share check us out on socials the hunting republic on facebook on instagram thehuntingrepublic.com.au with with a website yet to be created, but we'll be there eventually. And um, if you enjoyed what you heard, if you enjoyed the content, please share it with your friends and uh, get in touch if you have some feedback or if you have some topics that you'd like us to address or you'd like us to cover. We're always keen to chat to anyone about anything hunting uh, and outdoors related. So thanks again, team, and catch you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Hunting Republic podcast. Catch you later.